Good evening, everybody. We are back here. End of one more week. 22nd, right? Today, August 22nd. Uh, Saturday, I don't know how many Q&As we have had so far. 29. 29 Q&As. We have more questions, quite interesting questions. Some of the questions I had to literally scratch my spiritual head (laughs) because... (laughs) <laughs> when we answer questions, we are very, very careful to see that we don't err. Because I know many of you take our answers as the answers because we do not have the time um, or probably the experience to search out on your own. So we are careful when we look for the answers. So this evening as we come to the Q&A, we just thank God for everything that he's doing and uh, every every ministry we see people being touched. We just thank God. It's just God. This This entire thing was never planned. It was never part of anybody's plan. But we see how God turned something that is negative like the lockdown is definitely negative. It has brought so much sorrow and death and destruction in the world, but also turn it around for our good. So we just thank God for it all. So this evening, before we go to Q&A, we'll ask Pastor Vijay once again, could you pray? Father, we just want to thank you once again this evening, O Lord, for this opportunity that you've given to us. Father, we just want to worship you. We just want to thank you. Father, you are our Heavenly Father. Lord, you are a God who cares for every minute detail in our lives. Your word says that you've engraved us in the palm of your hand, palm of your hand that you've called us with an everlasting love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We want to worship you. And this evening, O oh Lord, even as we, Father, tackle through these questions, we ask you, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would grant us the grace, Lord, that you would lead us to the right scriptures, O Lord, that, Lord, that you would be the answer for everything, O Lord. And I pray, Father, for all your children, that you would grant them grace, O Lord, all of us the grace and the anointing to understand what your spirit has to say, even through this question and answer session, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We commit this entire time into your hands. And everything that we do, O Lord, let your name be glorified. Perfect, O Lord, Father, all the gifts that you have given to us for your glory, O Lord. And Lord, let everyone, O Lord, Father, Father, be touched and blessed through the session. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Though we have a lot of questions, because of the nature of the questions, I don't know how many we'll be able to handle today, but whatever the time permits, we shall look at it. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, uh, I think we should uh, look at three questions together, 10, 11, and 12 together, Pastor, if you can, we'll see them together. At what age are we held accountable for our actions? At what age should we be saved, 12 years, 15, or 18? When do you think we should be baptized? My daughter is 14. She got the gift of tongues today, but has not been baptized. She repented. She repented last Saturday when your wife prayed. Now can she get baptized? Three questions. Maybe they're all related so that you can put them together. 13 hours. How would you hold people accountable, accountable before, before they, they are baptized, baptized and okay. saved your young adults? Okay. The thing is that, uh, unlike the old covenant, because it was the law, and the letter of the law outward, they had their, you know, the eighth day, they got circumcised, and then they had their different. But that's religion. 
The new covenant, it's a different thing altogether. It's a completely different thing altogether. The new covenant, that is the coming of the kingdom, is a spiritual experience. This is not, this is not religion. Religion is mostly outward or almost everything about it is outward. Just some principles getting inside. But the kingdom of God is completely inward. It works from inside out. So when you talk about an age, there can be no age. Mm. Because if you look at the kingdom of God actually begins with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was baptized in the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Mm. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, It's, it's a symbol. Okay, he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. So we cannot, we cannot have a picture like that. There are, there are kids, five, six years old, or sometimes even younger, who know Christ, and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They see visions, they see dreams. So we cannot put an age. We cannot put an age. The only thing is that whoever is a spiritual person there, the authority there, which God has placed, whether it's a father and a mother, a pastor, they question and they know whether the child is ready to be baptized or not. Mm. Children can get baptized early if they understand the fundamental principles. Okay, And uh, the earlier you can actually lead them to a genuine baptism, the better before they get into the world. They get go through it, and so there is no age. In this case, this child who repented and then got baptized in the Holy Spirit, she should straight away go get baptized. In the book of Acts, you will see this never delay. There never delay between encounter with Christ and the baptism. The longest period I actually, in fact, my memory is right, is all of Tarsus. Mm. He took three days. <laughs> he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. For three days he was blind on the third day. And then as comes, lays his hands upon him. The first thing he does is he gets he baptized. baptized. Okay, so you will see now, because they all had real, genuine encounters with God. Mm. Our problem is we've been so saturated in the world, we're still making Christianity into a theological argument and not a spiritual experience with the kingdom of God and with the king. With the, that's where it's happening. We're still making it an intellectual argument. The kingdom of God is not an intellectual argument. That's what God, Jesus, straight away told Nicodemus. He didn't want to have that conversation with him. If you write like, if Jesus wanted to have a conversation, he should have had it with Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, I'll tell you straight away, you have to be born again of the spirit, of water and the spirit. Otherwise, you do not see you enter in the kingdom of God. But to the Samaritan woman who was ready to enter in the kingdom of God, Jesus is able to have a conversation about the kingdom. Hmm. Okay, so, so we have to get it right. This is not a theological thing. The kingdom of God is not a, there is theology in it, but it is a real spiritual experience. And once a person comes into that experience, I personally believe he should get baptized. Whether he's six years old or 16 years old, once he has got an encounter, he understands what it is, he's repented, he's saved, go get baptized. And then live in the light of your baptism each day. Reckon. It, it, it's, like, uh, it's like a man and a woman getting married. Okay. How old must have been Mary when she got married? Mm. She must have been a teenager. Okay. So two people meet each other, they love each other, they realize they, they want to get married. And they get married. Now, governments have made rules, okay, understand, uh, rules about what age you can get married. A woman has to be 18 in India, a man has to be 21. That is for other medical reasons and everything and all. But old days, there were no such uh, 
that particular uh, like you know parents decided whether a girl when she reached her puberty you they all, all immediately realized she was ready to get married okay so in the same way when do you reach spiritual puberty this person has an encounter with christ and the kingdom as a boy or a girl and then you go through the baptism which you are saying that you know what i am separating myself for christ so i would say i would put all those questions together and say uh, there is no age in the kingdom of god in the new covenant unlike the old covenant See, the when you are living under the law you need all these things mm. you do need you have to put 12 years jesus has is presented at the temple at the circumcised on the 8th day, day brought on the 40th day she has to go through all those things they have to go through because the law will tell you okay law will, because law is like law is outward but for us where god has written through his spirit we don't know those have those outward signs okay the man who is lawless will always ask if i break this traffic law what is the fine mm. yes okay, what is the fine and so he's thinking already i may break it i have to break it do have enough money the man who is law abiding in the heart is never thinking about what he has to pay yes okay he has to pay because he is law by the that um, titus i think he says the law was made first for the lawless chapter, first timothy chapter 1 yeah it was made for the lawless mm. it's made for the lawless so when we are talking about the kingdom of god never think in terms of the law the law will always say oh uh, like no your child is only 8 years old you cannot you cannot uh, get baptized because even under the law and they will go back over jesus okay jesus was born of a woman under the law under the law okay and what we are going through is not the baptism of john what we are going through is the baptism of jesus jesus baptism was to fulfill righteousness okay john's baptism was a baptism of repentance, repentance. we repent we repent believe we get saved we are declared righteous now our baptism is to fulfill righteousness saying that i am dead mm-hmm. i am dead and i'm rising up as a new creation so there i would say that there is no age but the concerned person should question and find out like in the case of samaria in cornelius house yes. not samaria in cornelius house you will see they are gentiles all kinds of people they the holy spirit fell upon all of them like this kid was baptized with the holy spirit so that was a definite sign to be given because otherwise the jews wouldn't have baptized them and included them into the body of christ Amen. okay so there it happened and peter ordered that they all should be baptized but this is fundamental whatever your age whether it is 6 or 60 you should be sure you are born again this is not a religious institution this is not like circumcision when you were circumcised you became part of the jewish the old covenant just because you got baptized you do not do not become part of the body of christ no you don't you become first the body of christ and then you get baptized there is a spiritual experience first and as a proof of that as an outward proof of it you get baptized so if the inward hasn't taken place the outward has no meaning yes outward has no and mark 16 it is very cle- clear he who believes and is baptized is saved is saved you have to believe first and and the effect of that belief is you are born again 
That's how I would answer. And there was one connected with our youth. Yeah, how would you hold people accountable before they are baptized and saved? No, it should be the other way around the question. Before they are saved and baptized. Okay, You get saved first and then you get baptized. If you are not saved and uh, you are not baptized, your accountability is a different thing. Like if you are talking about our young people. okay, uh, Whether you are saved or unsaved, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, the laws of the land still apply. The rules are there. The rules are there. Okay? And uh, no, it's not that the Christian does not have to keep the traffic laws. <laughs> the traffic laws applies to everybody. So in the same way, for our young people who are not saved, the rules apply. The rules apply. The purpose of the rule is ultimately to lead them to Christ Jesus. Lead them to Christ Jesus. So they are accountable for the rules we give them. They are not accountable for the rules they don't understand. Okay? okay. Like, let us say, we have 10 young people who are not really saved. So, in a lot of Christian institutions, it happens. The only rule we can set is that, like, you know, in one of the places where I was years ago, they, I used to do the devotions in the evening in an orphanage run by the CSI church. And uh, all the kids are there and uh, they have devotions. Okay, now, Most of the kids in the orphanage were not saved. But the rule of the orphanage is you have devotions. So they go for devotions. Oh. We sing, they pray, we preach for 20 minutes to them at their level and they all pray, eat, eat dinner and they go back. Okay, So that's the rule. That's the rule. Are they saved? No. But now they have heard the rules. They are accountable to see that they follow those rules. That still doesn't mean they are saved. Mm -hmm. You are accountable for what you know. Mm. You are not accountable before you are saved for what you do not okay. know. Though it may work against you. Yes. Okay? Like I may not know all the traffic rules. But I am supposed to know. That's what the license means. <laughs> You are supposed to know. So you break a law and you tell the traffic SI that I'm sorry, I did not know. That's not going to make any difference with them. You are supposed to know. So that's how we look at those children who are not saved. There are laws of our institution. There are laws of our institution where you live. It's a Christian institution. These laws are there and you follow it. And if you break the laws, then the consequences follow. The consequences follow. And uh, then we hope at some point in time, people will start thinking, where did these laws come from? Why are there laws? Ultimately, you have to ask, why are there laws? Like you have this entire movement in the U.S., defend the police, and then do what? The bedrock of every society, every individual, and every family, and every society is law, and order. If you have no law, you have no order. If you have law, you have order. But you cannot have law and just order. You have law and you have law enforcement and order. Mm. Okay. So you are talking about law and order, but taking law enforcement off, then it does not work. It does not work. Okay. It does not work. So you need to realize that's a bedrock of every society, every individual. Every individual. Okay. And ultimately, uh, law enforcement, when it gets internalized, when it gets internalized, you don't need a cop. That will be in heaven. You don't need a cop. Amen. 
yeah going through that process so how do you have law in enforcement i'm just going a little out of the subject but how do you that is primarily what fasting is fasting is the individual's law enforcement i'm seeing my flesh is going out of hand i have to discipline my flesh i have to. that's paul is a self disciplined man he doesn't need a cop in his life he doesn't need guardians he says i beat my body and bring it to subjection ultimately each one has to be his own cop yes and those people who have then they don't need oversight amen they don't need oversight they don't need laws but the laws have become their life amen. that's what in hebrews god will ultimately says you know no one will have to ask their brother, brother. show me god Everybody because the character of god that is from where law and order comes becomes internalized and becomes your own life but this is a process uh-huh. this is a process into which we go and that's how we handle it how we handle it okay so when i'm dealing with a believing teenager and an unbelieving teenager i don't deal with them the same way the same way with the unbelieving teenager i point them to the law to the believing teenager i point them to christ Hallelujah. Okay, I point them to the Christ. I cannot talk to an unbelieving teenager about Christ. I talk to them about the law, the law. Okay, mm-hmm. the believing teenager. I don't talk to them so much about the law because the law is pointing to Christ. Mm-hmm. This is the life. Okay, so that's how we how we handle it. But baptism, I'm very very clear about this. You have no clue how early children can know Christ. Amen. How early children can know Christ. Okay, how early children can know Christ? So, so yes. essentially, the accountability is to the accountability light. Accountability is to the, the light, light that they know. Light they know. Mm. Okay, accountability is according to the light they know. But of course, there is no excuse for not knowing Amen. light. Mm-hmm. There is no excuse. If I am right, there is Proverbs four eighteen. This is accountability for the believer. Proverbs four eighteen. the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day okay now it's talking about the righteous person yeah. who is a righteous person who is born again his path is like the shining sun what does it mean it gets brighter and brighter and brighter only if he's pursuing righteousness pursuing righteous if he's pursuing righteous things become more and more and more and more and more clear it is not saying the path is easy the path is well lit path is well lit you are growing in your righteousness therefore clarity in so many issues like if we were not so much away we wouldn't even take this qna Okay, because many of those questions don't even apply to our lives because we don't face that. But the path has become very, very clear. And sometimes, why will God demand so much from the final generation? Our generation is because to how much it has been given to this generation. Let me simply give you an example. In my own case, I read the New Testament. Let us say I read from Romans down to Philemon or whatever. what took paul his entire life and sacrifice to get these revelations from god i get it without breaking a sweat mm-hmm. without breaking a sweat okay that man had to literally live that life 
to receive those revelations. We got it so easily. Yes. And we take it so lightly. Mm. Okay? And sometimes when we preach, people ask, wow, how did you get so much revelation? It took us 30, 25, 30 years to come to this point. But to a generation of young people sitting in the church, they're getting it like with no price. So to whom much is given, much, will be given. much is required. Mm. Much. There's no excuse for our generation. Yes. Our generation knows more than any generation before spiritual truths. More than Paul. Our generation knows. Because of the revelation that has been given through the Holy Spirit, through all the greats that have gone before us. Hallelujah. Stuff which probably even Paul did not understand. Because Paul is still a human being. Our generation understands today because of what is available to us. Think about all the greats that were between Paul and us and the revelations that have come through them. Okay. Don't make uh, Paul into a demigod. Whatever revelations that is coming through, Paul is coming through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit yes. But our generation can know more than even Paul knew. Paul knew. Because of what is available to us. Like, let me ask this question. Did Paul really read the book of Revelation? No. No. <laughs> no. I don't think he was alive when it he's was. He's probably dead, yes. He's dead. He's gone. Yes, yes. So he, when he was alive, he did not have the revelation of the book of Revelation. Okay? And we have. And we have multiple incredible teachers and their revelations about Revelation. So if you look at today and what is available, this computer itself that's before us has changed the entire dynamics. One word search in seconds, you have millions of answers. You know, okay, millions of answers. So we've been given so much and therefore we are also accountable for that. Accountable for that. So please remember, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter towards that perfect day. So that's how I would look at it. So that's why we see our young children can really know God. Really, really know God. You know, if they can crack complex math figures, why do we think the kingdom of God is so complicated? You know, think about 6,000 years of human history. Which 12-year-old child or 13-year-old child or 14-year-old child worked on algebra or calculus? They never did. Is it easy? It's not easy. These scientific theorems in physics and chemistry. and Nobody in 6,000 years. But we have made the kingdom of God is unknowable. Mm -hmm. It's too difficult for our children. The pit, life from the pit of hell. Amen. If they can crack this, they can crack this easier. Because they are cracking this because they have teachers in school. They can crack this because they have the Holy Spirit has their own teacher. Amen. The Spirit has the greatest teacher ever. The Spirit of God shall lead you to all, all truth. truth. So you have to look at it that way and encourage our children to know God. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, because you mentioned about fasting, I think we should tackle that question. It's question number nine. nine. It's, uh, it's because you talked about self-discipline and, and the law being in built into us because of self-discipline. Mm. Question number nine says, how would you explain a Daniel fast? No meat? Question mark. All vegetarian? What is the significance of this? I'm a little perturbed about how the Catholics did a Daniel fast. How did you do one? Okay, now uh, you need to realize, you know, in the New Covenant, you need to be very, very careful about these things. 
we don't take old covenant things and make a law and a, a formula out of those things. The Daniel fast comes from uh, Daniel chapter 10. That's where all these people pick up Daniel fast from Daniel chapter 10. No? There, the way he fasted there, this is particular. Yeah, verse 3. Uh, verse 2, 3, okay? In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. What is the reason? Because of a vision. Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all Three till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Okay? Weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, okay? Okay, so this is where we get the Daniel fast, Okay? Now, you have to connect. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Can I go over there? Yeah. You have to go at verse 2 and 3. If you read only verse 3, you will miss it. He was mourning. Mm. Okay. When you are mourning, there are certain kinds of food you don't eat. Because food has two aspects to it. One is for health. The second is for pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. yes. Pleasure, okay. So when you are mourning, you don't go to a house where death has taken place and they, they don't give you chicken biryani. Mm-hmm. Okay? Immediately you know certain foods are celebratory in nature. Yes. Okay? So that's what you need to understand this. Okay? So he was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into nor did I anoint myself at all. So, so there also you will realize this anointing is also connected with mourning. He's not anointing himself. You need to see the difference. When David rose up from the floor after seven days of fasting. interceding and fasting for his son's life. Okay, and he knows God has said no. And now he cannot go with a long face. He has accepted God's judgment in this situation. So he anoints himself. He anoints himself. Okay, that's how uh, he reacts. Okay, that's a way to react when you have accept. You know, you don't mourn. You are righteous in all your ways, so Lord, I accept your judgment. So here you have to realize, and that's where the vegetable part comes. And again, there's no magic formula with 21 days, though it is there, because the answer came on the 22nd day. What if the answer hadn't come? Would he have stopped his fast? No. No. See, we make magic formulas in this new covenant. No, there are no magic formulas in new covenant. Okay? You're fasting because you're being led by the Spirit. You need to fast before you will get your answer. And uh, you don't set a date. I'm going to fast for seven days. You're already imagining that on the seventh day you will get an answer. Hmm. If you get the answer on the first day, you're a fool for the next six days. Unless you are trying to lose weight. I was answering somebody, okay, it's a good thing also if you have, can lose weight too. So we don't put these things. As a church, we fast for seven days or 21 days. We are just, we are not fasting over one issue. Mm. We are not one issue, okay? We are generally fasting, Lord, cleanse us, sanctify us, speak to us. So it is a general fasting we are talking about, a preparatory kind of a thing, like we fast for seven days right from Christmas evening till New Year's Eve, 
to prepare us for the year, not to hear that year's promise. To prepare us for that year so that you prepare us. Okay, we prepare us. Okay, it was nice. We fasted for seven days. On first night or 31st night, he gave us rise up and build. Mm -hmm. And then the COVID came and we understood in a different perspective altogether what it means to rise up and to build. build. Literally, we are building the walls and the gates of personal Jerusalem's which had come down or strengthening it whichever way. So that's how we have to look at it. Please don't make it into magic formulas. In the new covenant, everything is determined. Let me go to that so that you get it because you can you can get in because you see we are all like that old man likes the law mm-hmm. that's the problem okay Luke chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan as was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry. So why did he fast for 40 days? So the Spirit led him. That's entirely the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He came full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness where there is no food and he's on his 40 days. And all those 40 days he's being tempted. We are being given only three temptations. But he's tempted for 40 days. The rest of the temptation we do not even know. Three primary temptations are given to us as a, as a theological study mm. of the nature of temptations. But he could have gone through hundreds, thousands of temptations for 40 days. Okay, And the interesting part is that it was only after the temptations were over, all these temptations were over, and he had overcome it, he was aware of his hunger. It's an incredible spiritual battle that is taking place. But that was determined by the Holy Spirit. So the life of Christ Jesus in the new covenant is my model. We fast when he tells us to fast. We eat when he tells us to eat. We fast from the things which he tells us to fast from. Because the thing is that he alone actually knows me. Even I don't know myself. He really, really, he is the one who searches the heart of the Father. And the Spirit of God is the one who searches my heart, my spirit. So we don't make a law. We will we will have a seven-day fast for the church or a three-day fast for the church or a 21-day. That is a general fast assembly for the church. But individually, you need to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. You don't put a number or fix something with God because sometimes it may happen before that or something may happen after that. Meaning you, it may not come in seven days. The Holy Spirit will say, it's not done yet. You need to fast more because you're not broken yet. You're still resistant to me. You're still res- still things, areas in my life, in your life I need to break. That's how I look at it. How I look at it. How I look. Otherwise you'll get disappointed. You fast for seven days, nothing happens. It doesn't work like that. Honestly, this is, this is why we are dealing with the Holy Spirit in these past few weeks. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit decide and determine. Because some people, food may, may make no difference at all make no difference at all. They may need to fast from other things. That may be more difficult. May be more difficult. Yes. How, how much of the individual's will is involved in making a decision to fast or not to fast? The will is always because he has to choose. 
A will is involved in everything that God has given that one particular thing to man. I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses. You choose. And he says, you choose life. So I have to choose. It's not going to take that away. Mm -hmm. Amen. Whether it is fasting or whether with anything in life, I have to choose. The demons or Satan possess. The Holy Spirit only leads. leads. To lead, I have to choose to follow. Amen. Holy Spirit will never possess a person. Demons look to possess a person to control his will and to live their lives. No. That's why God says, offer yourselves right. as a living sacrifice. You have to choose each day. Because he leads you. Mm. But I have to choose to follow. He doesn't push you. So, so mm. in, in, the, in the sense that mm. what I'm saying is, okay, I understand that. Uh, like, in, a, in other words, even when I'm living this life in the spirit and by faith, there could be certain, certain times in my life I know for sure, unless and until I fast, I will not get this breakthrough and therefore I choose to fast or whatever it is. I mean, breakthrough meaning, uh, I'm talking about breakthrough in the sense of overcoming sin or breakthrough in yeah. the sense of increasing of faith. See, again, again, uh, when you are talking about fasting, Again, it is talking about denying feeding your flesh. Hmm. Yes, that's right. Okay. Now let's, let's, let's be uh, practical and brutal about this. There is this young guy who's struggling with pornography. We're all struggling with that porn. So you would tell him, fast for seven days. And he fasts for seven days. Every seven days he's still hooked onto his porn. Is he going to overcome? No. So what do you tell him? Fast for seven days, pray, and give me all your gadgets. Yes. And stay mm. where somebody watches you. Accountability, yes. Accountable and pray. Okay. So fasting from food alone is not going to help him to overcome something where he needs to actually cut off, cut off the source that is causing all this. It's not going to work that way. So when we are talking about fasting, we need to be very, very careful. Mm. Fasting is not a food and drinks are involved in it highly because it actually weakens your body. The cravings of the body is first from the stomach. I have spoken this many times. Every lust of the flesh is there in the baby. In the seed form, it is there in the baby. All the lusts of the flesh is there. The baby doesn't know any of these things. Mm. Except hunger. Hmm. That it knows. That it knows. For the baby, the Hunger and the thirst is one because it's only drinking milk. It's not eating anything. So it is one component it has comes. So the first desire the baby knows is hunger. And then it also knows when it is uncomfortable, when the nappy is wet. Nappy it is wet. But because the baby is born in sin and shaped in iniquity, I'll tell you. Okay? Baby's nappy is wet. Baby's wet. Nappy is, it cries. Mama comes running, carries, boo-boo, all that. And mamas are like that. Or dadas also should be like that. They give him all the love and the attention, him or her, change the nappy, the thing, put him back over there. Okay? And then little later, his nappy is wet again. Again, he cries. And then he comes. Okay? He changes. After a few days, the baby realizes, if I cry, I'll get the attention. <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with the nappy getting wet again. <laughs> Oh boy. I'll get that boo-boo and lala, this thing. <laughs> so he cries. And the mama runs and she checks and the nappy is dry. Now how did he get it? You know what it is? It's called manipulation. Mm. 
discuss manipulation because it's already there in his flesh. Yes. Manipulation is already there in his flesh. <coughs> okay, manipulation is there. And if we understand it and you tell the baby, no, no. If you think the baby won't understand, you have no clue. <laughs> A couple of times you will say, no, okay, no. And then you quickly leave the baby and go away. Leave him in its safe position and go on. A couple of times later, he realizes manipulation does not work. work. Mm. This is how you train from the beginning. <coughs> because it's there all in the flesh. Everything is there in the flesh. Everything is there in the flesh. But the best part of a baby or a child is they are also able to forget fast. The memory is very, very, very <coughs> short. So even if it has what we as adults understand is a bad habit, it is easy to get them out of it very fast because the memory span is very, very, very small, very, very short. That's why none of us remember almost nothing of our first few years of life. We don't remember anything, anything. It's very easy to forget. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Yes, that was free, okay? That was free parental tip for all young parents. Okay. So, Pastor, we will go to question number 14. Question number 14. It says... I have a question about birthright. Can we have Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 to 17, please? Mm. I have a question about birthright. Okay. I wanted to know what will be our birthright as a believer. How can we sell our birthright, uh, birthright or do we have a birthright in the spiritual realm? The word says he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. How much more careful should we be that we may not sell our, sell out our birthright? <clears throat> okay. This is talking as, a, as, as an example. 14, 14, okay. to 14 to 17 is what the brother wrote. Okay. <coughs> Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Okay. And Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with, with tears. tears. Okay. Now, this is what I want to look at. It. This is an Old Testament example of a bigger picture in the New Covenant. There are two sons. They were twins, but Esau came first. So his birthright, in his birthright, Jacob also has a birthright, Esau. But the firstborn's birthright, what he would inherit, was more than what the next ones would inherit. Okay, let's, let's be very material about it so that we understand it. Let us say Jacob has, uh, let us say Jacob has uh, $10,000. Uh, Isaac has $10,000, which he is leaving. So... <coughs> Because he has only two kids, <coughs> he will leave like six. Let's put, okay, let's make it simpler. Nine, nine thousand dollars. So Esau gets six, Jacob gets three. Because it's two children, okay? He gets a double portion. The eldest one gets, that was his birthright. That was his inheritance. Your birthright is your inheritance. Primarily that's your inheritance. So it's talking about it. What happened over here is he sold it. He was very casual about it. He sold it. 
So, when it is literally talking about the actual event, Jacob got it, the father blessed him, and then when he goes and he cries, and father, don't you have any other blessing for him? He says, I have, but I cannot give you what I already was your, gave it to Jacob. I cannot give it back to you. So he gets, so that's what it's talking about. Now, when God is using this entire episode in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about our spiritual inheritance. Every child of God has an inheritance God has kept in heaven. That's your birthright. That's your birthright. He's got an inheritance. And that inheritance is for eternity. And he says, don't lose it. You've been, I, I, I want to, I want to go back to verse 14 onwards. It's interesting over there where God brings all these pictures through. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. So it's talking about God and man, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What he's talking about is, what is the grace of God given for? First part we know, grace of God is given, that's what saves us. Second, grace of God is given that we overcome sin. sin. Yes. Two, grace of God is given that we serve God to the uttermost. Don't fall short of it. You will lose your inheritance. You may be saved, but you end up heaven and realize your inheritance is gone for eternity. Like Esau lost it. He couldn't get it back. Reason? You pursued the world and the flesh and not Christ and the kingdom. Okay? This is the fundamental. Let me go to uh, words. Yeah. Second mm. Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. See, until we get, one of the reasons as pastors, servants of God, we keep on, feel like we are hitting our head on a brick wall, is that because this thing, Verse 16, chapter verse 16 to 18. And then I will need another verse also after that. Okay? Yeah. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a sh far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are eternal. Now listen carefully, everybody, Okay, even the ones who are sitting here, listen carefully. He's putting two things over there. One he's putting affliction, and the other is talking about the eternal weight of glory. Okay, Actually, in the Hebrew word glory itself, because he's a Hebrew, the weight is chabod or something. Chabod. Chabod itself means weight. weight yes. Glory means weight. Okay. Now what God is saying, you need to understand, okay, somebody else also was asking me this yesterday or day for yesterday. We need to understand when eternity begins, when eternity begins, uh, can you go to the last two verses of Hebrews 11? Okay, we need to come back to this after that, okay? This is an important question so that we will understand how to handle these things. Chapter 11, okay? 
And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. Every saved person from the old and the new covenant, everybody is waiting for one event. One event. That is what is called rapture or receiving of the glorified body. Until that body comes, nobody will know who is the overcomer. Because that body is a body of glory. As stars differ from glory to glory, so will the saints. This is the weight of glory he is talking about. Nobody has any clue. Not even a single angel knows. Only God and his son and the Holy Spirit knows actually. It is hidden. Because it will be only declared when that takes place, suddenly you will realize nobody looks the same. Everybody's glory is different. And that's the weight of glory he's talking about. And he says, you have to see the afflictions which you're going through now in the light of that weight. Otherwise, we'll not be able to handle these afflictions. We will not be able to handle these afflictions. Every affliction you are going through is connected with the weight of glory you will receive. It is working something in you, the very character, image of Christ Jesus. Image of Christ Jesus. Please understand these fundamental differences and the most powerful picture of this given in the Old Covenant is the life of Joseph. It was his afflictions which created that character which enabled him to handle the glory of being the prince of Egypt. That glory is one, the pomp, the glory next to Pharaoh, riding beside the Pharaoh, and also the weight of administration. Both are there. Both. He's able to handle it. He's got character to handle pressure. Character to handle pressure. The whole junk they were talking in the four days of the DNC. Okay? First day, second day, third day, fourth day. Four days, what did they, what did they talk? Only Trump. First day Trump, second day Trump, third day Trump, fourth day Trump. Hey Trump. That's all they spoke. They didn't tell what is the vision for America, what are their plans, nothing. Only thing they talked about Trump. Okay? But if you look at that man, that man can handle pressure. That man can handle pressure. I mean, I envy him. He can handle pressure, the kind of pressure he handles. And he's not definitely a godly saint. He's not. But he's able to handle. He is from Queens. Queens is the boxer's place in New York. Where he's a real estate <laughs> guy. He's a tough fighter from Queens, a real estate guy. Real estate, you have to be a cutthroat to build any real estate anywhere. And he's able to handle it. Handle it. He's able to handle it. Now we are talking about eternity, God's administration with holiness and righteousness. Can we handle that pressure? Ruling a thousand years on earth, the kind of people who will be still there, who will join with the Lucifer at the end to go against Christ, can you handle that kind of pressure? Administrative pressure, he's talking about. So there is glory and there it's is weight. weight. And that's what God is preparing for. And until you see that picture, you will, will not find meaning in the race. That's what Paul says, people on the world, Discipline themselves and do all this looking for a perishable crown. We are running for an imperishable crown. And unless we see that imperishable crown itself as the person of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. The person of Jesus Christ. Yes. Now let's go back to the other one, Hebrews, the verse, uh, first question we 12, have. 12, 14, 15. 12, 14. Then only you have to put all these things together. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will. That's the key. That's see the key. God. You won't mm-hmm. see God. Amen. Now it doesn't mean you don't see God. It means the way you see God will be different. Amen. <laughs> the way you see God will be different. It won't be the same. Everyone will see God in heaven, but everyone will see won't see God the same way. There will be a difference, and the difference is there seen in Revelation twenty two. When you come to Revelation twenty two, we have gone to the center of administration, to the very throne. You read from verse 1 onwards, so the whole perspective is given. Revelation 22, the final chapter. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. It's very strange. The river is the street, the street is the river. Okay, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. Each year yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. nations. Meaning nations are still being healed. Hmm. Still being healed. (laughs) Okay? It's not COVID. They're being healed. Meaning there is an entire set of redeemed, saved people who are still growing to perfection Hmm. in eternity. Eternity. But there's a different set of people. Verse 3 onwards. Yeah. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. This is a different set of people. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Okay? Okay. So we have to look at all these pictures, and we need to say, look, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Like we keep telling the simple explanation. Uh, in a government school or a college, admission is free. Promotion is not. Promotion is not. You need to work at it. You need to work at it. And God gives you all the resources possi- possible or needed. Every resource needed to finish an overcomer. Because he doesn't look at you as students. He looks at everyone as sons and daughters. As a father, he wants everyone to overcome. So the spirit is given. The word is given. Everything you ask for it is given. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said. Pick smart guys from the princes among Judah. I want three years of training and give them the best from my table so that physically, mentally, everything, they will be the best so that I can be part of Babylonian civil service. That is the best from his table. We need to realize today God is giving his children the best from his table so that can, we can become the uttermost for Christ Jesus. Amen. The only problem is we go to the other table and eat from it. Yes. In the other. So it, every child is offered the best from the father's table to fulfill that purpose. Yes. In other words, the spirit of Esau is that they only look for the temporal and never have the vision of the eternal. Right? It is not that they don't have. We can't put Esau as the only type. The thing is that everybody is, everybody is, if you look at Esau, 
He had the vision of the eternal too. Only problem, his flesh was too weak. Later he wanted it. The problem is, he, he was a guy who indulged in the flesh so much, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Now, the things which I don't want to do, I do. The things which I want to do, I don't do. Okay, Why? Because the flesh is too strong. Flesh is strong, strong. Per se, he's also not a very bad guy. He's not a very bad guy. If you look at the picture in Genesis, he doesn't look like a very bad guy. He's a happy-go-lucky guy who loves the world. But the problem is, if you go that direction, later when you try, like a lot of old people, when they come to the Lord, and they understand the truth very fast because their mind is grown, intellectual, they everything. They understand the scripture principles very, very fast. But when they try to get into spiritual disciplines, they struggle. Because by now the flesh is also grown. Mm. Flesh is also grown. Yes, I want to only sleep for four or five hours. But you have slept all your life for eight hours, nine hours. I want to eat only. But you have been eating so much rich food all your life. And the flesh is now your... Not just your enemy, it's your strong enemy. Mm. That is the issue with Esau. If Esau, unlike Jacob, had not been an outdoor man who went eating and hunting and all, he wouldn't have struggled so much. That is the issue. There are a lot of people who desire spiritual things. It's like but a guy, your guy wants to get into IT, but he doesn't no. want to do the homework. But he's got to No, make he time. is not able to do the homework because by the time he reaches the he actually aspires for it. His uh, flesh is too strong. Mm. That is why mothers are so... That's why a generation has perished. A generation is perishing simply the mothers left home. Because those are the most important years of a child's life. Most important years. And the fundamental thing about disciplining a child is disciplining how a child eats. Child eats. You have to be very, very careful about what a child is. Because you are what you eat. And what the mother has to do today, it's all junk. It's all junk. You have to be very, very careful. If you have an eternal perspective, look at what God told uh, Manoah and his wife about uh, yes, about uh, Samson. Samson. Samson, he says, if he has to be this incredibly great man of God, you have to prepare him from the womb. Meaning you have to be very careful about what you eat mm. in your pregnancy. Yes. Because it's going to go into, into him. Mm. You, his mother is asked to be a Nazarite for nine months so that he can be a Nazarite for life. life. Yes. Imagine what God is demanding. So think about it, what God is demanding from new covenant sons and daughters, the mothers and the fathers. He says, you understand this? You will realize the career in the world, all this is worth nothing. I will have a Samuel and a Samson put together in my life. I mean, if he doesn't choose it, it will not be because of me. I will do everything that I can do. After that, he has to choose. But these are fundamental things. Fundamental things. And the entire book of Leviticus is framed that way. And people will always forgot about it. God said, you know what? I am raising up a people who will be... Why are Jews still the smartest people on earth? Yes. It's because of what they eat. Mm-hmm. The most crooked too. It's also because they have eaten well and then gone on to the other side. Okay, and we we have to look at these fundamentals. We have to look at these fundamentals when God is. And what is He doing? Daniel is immediate. Daniel's first choice was connected oh, with food. food. Yes. Okay. We we. And I'm not saying about food alone. There's a lot of disciplines you have to be very very careful with a child, because that is the age. Their mind is like a sponge. They got so much energy that they can be disciplined. 
Yes, yes. They can be easy because they have the energy to be disciplined. The problem is by the time you reach 45, 50, and you were not trained that way, trained that way, when you try to bring those disciplines, the flesh is too strong. Yes. I'm not saying it cannot be done. done. It cannot be done. It is. It will, it will demand that kind of dedication from you. Demand. That's why, it, let me ask you simply this question. Don't we get fascinated by these photographs and these things in this media which comes about a man or a lady with this huge paunch belly and then says lost. Yes. 15 kilos in five months. And we, we look at them and say, wow. And then they tell you the process, what they went through to lose. Yes. And you admire them. Okay. That's the same principle applies. Mm. It's not that you cannot, but are you willing to all, go all the way? You can. There's, there's nothing impossible with him or who, or who believes. But the whole idea is, when you are young, got believing parents and you understand it, go that route. Go that route. Okay. Because you are defining the child's life. Eternity. I was. I mean, just. Yeah. Was, I was uh, listening to an interview by the sports person who got a silver medal in Olympics. Is it clear? Because sound is. Yeah. Clear. Okay. It's, uh, the the coach was who was training her. He was so careful about not even a single extra gram of sugar getting into her diet, just so that she would get or he would yeah. get a golden gold or a silver for the. Country. Any one of them, if you notice, any of those great sport person. You will realize, we see them, we see the gold medal and all. You ask them, they'll always say the coach. coach. One of the conditions the coach will say is that... You have, will, your body belongs to me. Yeah, <laughs> you will listen to whatever I say. Yes. You listen, otherwise I will not coach you. It's not like our Indian cricket team where the team is greater than the coach. We have only superstars and no players. You know? So the coach has to listen to the players. But in other places, it's the other way. The coach will tell you. Otherwise, he will say, I'm not, I'm not coaching. I'm not coaching. And that's the way. If you, do you want the Holy Spirit to coach you? Hmm. So you have to listen to what I say. If you don't, I'll leave you alone. You can go your way. One question I had in this was, um, like, how do we have uh, the vision of what is what is God going to give to us. I mean, it's something that we really have to strive for. Lord, what is that I'm going to miss? In light of that, I want to choose this. How is that? Okay, let's look at that, that, that question. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 5 again. Yes. No, 4 and we. So go to 5 and verse 2 and 3. Oh, let's read from verse 1. It's a continuation actually. The yes. editors who put the chapters. <clears throat> for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what is talking about? He's talking about the eternal in the incorruptible body. Yes. You're getting a body. Mm-hmm. Even if this body. See, everything we do is connected with this body. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? And some ambition in the world. So we define our body accordingly. For in this we groan, earnestly yes. desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. In verse 3. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Thing? He says, so many people on that day, many of us maybe, we don't know, will be found naked on that day. No glory. Cowards. No glory. No glory. Found naked. No glory. No glory. And that's what you're talking about. Okay. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Mm-hmm. 
that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That is eternal life he is talking about. Okay, and that is the thing that happened to Israel in the old covenant when they came, the first generation, Psalm 106, verse 15. No, he gave them the request. But yeah, Psalm 106 and verse 15, if I'm right, yeah. And KJV would be better. NKJV also, I think, is good. Okay, yeah, you have it? NKJV, yeah. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Hmm. Every request of the first generation in the desert was connected with the body. Hallelujah. Give us this, give us this, give us this. Oh, we ate all this in Egypt, we are tired. He gave them. But if you looked outwardly, they were strong people, no sickness, this thing. But if you look into their souls, they were naked. Absolutely naked in this. Absolutely naked in their soul. They sent leanness into their souls. And that's what God is talking about. On that day, it will be revealed how your souls are. Your souls. And we have to keep that perspective and constantly re, re, recalibrate our minds to think about kingdom of God and the things that are above. I'm running that race. I'm running that race. And then we will have to make very clear choices and decisions, Amen. even in fellowship. Yes. I'm going to be restricted in my fellowship. I want to fellowship with people who are in the race. Amen. Not who are interested in the world. Even in the kingdom of God, everybody is not in the race. Everybody is not in the race. When Noah got into the ark, the ark had three decks. This is my understanding. Simple, <laughs> logical understanding. Lower deck is full of crawly, creepy things. <laughs> the snakes, the alligators, the tortoise, all of them. Second deck is full of the like animals. Animals. The top is where those who fly. Mm. Top deck should be there. Okay. And where where do you think Noah and his family were? Lower deck, no. middle deck, or upper deck? Top, top upper deck. deck. You can choose where you want to be. Only one door into the kingdom of God. You can choose where you want to be. You want to be in the lower deck, in the middle deck, or in the upper deck. Mm -hmm. You want to be in the outer courts. In the holy place or the most holy place. There is no division now. From top to bottom, a curtain was rent and God says, boldly come. It is your choice. Only one door. It is open for everybody. So you will have to make spiritual choices. Spiritual choices. You will have to make, even about your fellowship, you will have to make spiritual choices. Why do you think Enoch walked alone? Hmm. Seventh from Adam. He walked alone. What does it mean? Though he was physically present with his wife and his family, he was se spiritually separated. So they had no interest in the things he was interested in. They all lived under the same roof. But they were not interested. But he chose to walk with God. He chose to walk with God. These are fundamental things. He was not a nasty man. He was the perfect man before Christ. Because he was taken alive. But he made choices. And that's why he put seventh from Adam. And he's the first symbol of a man taken in rapture. And that's what the Bible is talking about. You have to put a premium on these things. Premium on these things. You know, premium on these things. And say, look, I look at that. That's what uh, athletes, you know, you, these toppers, they're very clear, careful about who they walk around with, who they talk around with. They talk to like-minded people. Yes, yes. Tell me your friends, I'll tell you where you're yeah, going. Yeah, I'll tell you. Tell me your friends, I'll so, tell you who you are and where you're going. 
Yes, Pastor Vijay. Yes, we Pastor. have yeah, one yeah. more question. This we is Pastor. Yeah. This is a little controversial. It's marital. All the children can close their ears or can be excused from the television. Yeah, it's not a very <laughs> difficult question, <laughs> but it's an interesting, interesting question. question. I was interested. I mean, all right. So it says uh, it's uh, question number eight. Is it wrong to use condoms? Is it biblical? Is it selfish? If God made sex for pleasure, then why don't we enjoy it? Why is it so complicated? Once you have two kids and you want to stop having kids, is tying your tubes a sin? Sorry, I'm married for seven years. We don't want any more kids. It's a mutual decision. <sighs> I have to be very, very careful about this answer because I don't want to be... But uh, like Paul, when he was... In one place he says... Is what I am saying, but I also believe I have the Spirit of God. Okay, so first we'll go to Genesis chapter two, not Genesis one, because Genesis one is what we call the big frame of creation. Genesis two is the narrowing down of the creation of man in it. Okay, seven six days he created everything, but the prime crown jewel of his creation was man. So in chapter two. He focuses on man alone and not the rest of creation. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, okay? Because in chapter 1, if you, if you read in order, you will think chapter 1, the woman is already there. No, that is general creation and that is spoken much later. In Genesis 2, you see Adam is created. He's put in the garden. The garden is planted. He's put in the garden. And then God makes this statement. And God said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. So the first statement God makes. Now you go to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 because that's the order. Genesis 1, 28 is not 1, that is 2. This is the first one. And God blessed them and God said them to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay? So this is 2. This is not 1. This is not 1. 1 is Genesis 2, 18. So the first purpose of marriage is companionship, relationship. Hmm. Okay? Second purpose of marriage is procreation. Okay? Because if procreation is the first reason for marriage, then if you are barren, then you are cursed. No. In the new covenant, if you are married and you don't have children, you can be happily married. Old covenant was different. Old covenant was different and every woman, nobody wanted to be barren is simply because of the reason of what was said in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman. So everybody connected procreation with salvation. So there was new covenant, nobody is going to give birth to Jesus, he's already come. Mm. So no such, uh, those such wishful dreaming, any sister who is listening, that's over, okay? Uh, Mary took that. Uh, she got that chance. Uh, lottery fell on her. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm just t- telling a joke. Okay, it's not, it's not a lottery. So please understand this. First purpose of marriage, when God is talking about marriage, is relationship, companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs somebody who is comparable to him. Mm-hmm. And God t- tries it out. If you read the rest of the chapter, you will see. He, Eve is not, no longer in the picture. And I believe like C.S. Lewis Narnia series, I believe the animals could talk and all that probably. Otherwise, how did the snake talk to 
uh, the serpent came into the snake or through the snake or as the snake and talked to Eve and Eve did not scream and run or anything. It seems to be very normal. Okay. So scripture says the Lord brought, meaning he, all the animals came to Adam. Adam named him. Adam named him. So God is saying, will Adam make a choice from all these animals who can talk? But he's not able to fellowship with any one of them. They are able to talk, but I'm hope assuming maybe they are able to talk, but they are not God-breathed. They do not have a soul like his. The mm. soul of an animal is different, and the soul of a man is different because God had breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. God did not breathe into the animals. He just said, let them be. So there was a difference. So he just seen whether Adam would be happy with. Him. I mean, he gives us the autonomy even to choose our spouses. Mm. Even Adam had it, and he looked. He looked at the chimp. He looked at all this bear, and they look cute and everything. And even the collar bear looks very cute, but it's not comparable. Yeah, comparable. He so he doesn't make any choice. So the first rule of marriage is companionship. That is also why the Bible says, "You shall not be unequally yoked with." Believers. Why? If procreation is the first uh, rule of marriage, you can have a child with an unbeliever. Probably a better child. The child might turn out well, but your wife and you cannot communicate. So procreation is not the first. So the, the principle continues in the new covenant. Comparable. Okay. You need to have a spouse which you can communicate. Okay. Which you can, with whom you can actually have fellowship, companionship. Okay. With whom you can talk about the king and the kingdom who have uh, mutual interests. And you look at Gentile families, they get along very well. You know what? Their interests are the same. Yes. The world. They get along very well. I mean, I wish. God says they get along well because overall they fulfill the fundamental principle. What? They have the same interests in life. They like the world. They want the children to do well in career and everything. They are not interested in the kingdom. But you are different. You are a kingdom person. You are born of the kingdom. Your mind should be on things above and you should be thinking about the kingdom. So if that is what you are aiming and hungry for, even if you marry a woman who is just a believer or a husband who is just a believer who is not interested, you will struggle for companionship. You are still not equally yoked. You are still unequally yoked. Otherwise, every believer's marriage should be fantastic. But they don't have the same interests. A man could be on fire for God and the woman is not interested. The woman may be absolutely gung-ho about God and the man is interested in the world. It still doesn't work. So the first, this thing over here, and this is how I read it, okay? This I have preached in many of the old wedding messages. This is how I read it. God created Adam. Eve is not there in the picture. God created Adam. And God is fellowshipping with Adam. That Adam knew God for a season much before he knew Eve. So his first relationship that is strengthened is his relationship with God. That's first principle God is putting. So that you will never put your relationship with the person you are going to marry above your relationship with God. Amen. So that's the first thing. And then when Adam is not able to find anybody comparable, what happens is God decides to move to stage two. He puts Adam to sleep. And he takes Eve out, uh, the rib out, and he makes Eve. Okay, and scripture says he brought Eve to Adam. The Bible doesn't say when he brought Eve to Adam. The Bible doesn't also say how long Adam slept. So again, you see is that the woman is first alone with God and not alone with Adam. 
The fundamental principles of marriage is there in Genesis 1 and 2. Man is alone with God. So he has a relationship with God. Woman is alone with God. She also has a relationship with God. But what God told man, he never told woman. Because that's God's order. He doesn't change his order. The head of the home is the man. And God does not going to tell all the things he told Adam to Eve. Eve has to hear from Adam and follow Adam. That's God's order. That is why Eve is created at the end after Adam has named all the animals. Because naming is a sign of authority. Okay, He didn't create Eve and then says Adam and Eve as king and queen. Why don't you name? He didn't do that. When everything was over, he created Eve. And everything, I believe, Eve heard, she heard it from Adam. Simply because God is putting a picture, a perfect picture. He's the head. He knows me. You are my daughter. You follow him. Everything you need to know about me, you know about me. But how to go ahead in this life, he will lead you. And you are his helpmate, comparable to him. You are his helpmate. That's what. Okay? So you have relationship first, and then there is procreation. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 18 is talking about what he said after Eve is created. So you know the order. So don't put Genesis 1.18 over there first. So that is coming. So he says, you need to multiply. You need to be fruitful. So now the children is coming into it. Okay. Now when you are coming about children, so you need to understand marriage. You need to understand sex. And that is where homosexual unions are absolutely unacceptable to God. They will say, but we love each other, but you cannot procreate. Both has to go together. You cannot have one without two. If you are naturally barren for some other reason, that is a different thing. Barren women have also given birth in the Bible. Doesn't matter how old we are there. But no man has ever given birth to a child. So that is where the fundamental issue with homosexual marriage is, no, we love each other, God is love. I'm sorry. The purpose of rich, the purpose of, see the entire mess that happened in the world and starting with the US happened is when the court declared homosexual marriages. marriages. They changed the definition of marriage. Otherwise let them do whatever they want. It didn't matter. But when you change the definition of marriage, it opened up the Pandora's box. Pandora's box. But the definition of marriage was always very clear. It was man and woman. Okay? So you have relationship, you have procreation coming over there. These both have to go together. And then when you come to procreation, you need to realize the process of procreation is what you say is through sex in the course. It is through sex. Now you go to the third part of it is, I think, uh, 2.24, Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and son, they were not. So then he brings a third part into it. In the very process of procreation, he says, these two will become one. Okay? That is where the, that is why we use that term, you can become intimate without intimacy. Mm. That's what the devil has done. He took intimacy out. Intimacy out. He took intimacy out. He says you can, anybody can become intimate. So there, so what, what he, that's what I said. What he 
did is that he removed all those fundamental concepts about marriage and sex and just put pleasure over there at the top. Okay, pleasure. Okay, that is why people who have affairs, though they may have greater pleasure in that act, are actually miserable after. Because mm. if the pleasure was true, it would have continued. But people who are happily married, the pleasure doesn't bring guilt. It doesn't bring guilt. There is no guilt. There is no guilt. Okay, so you need to look at what he's talking about. So there is relationship, companionship, there is procreation. The act of procreation is the act of sex. Okay, now if you're going to look at, you have to look at it very, very clearly over there, how these three are put together. If the purpose of sex was only for procreation, no, Bible said no. It is for intimacy. Mm. It is for intimacy. Okay? If the act of sex was only for pro procreation, one, there would have been no pleasure in it. Two, every time a man had sex with his wife, she would have become pregnant. That's not the way God created it. Mm -hmm. Okay? Understand fundamental concepts of it work. Now let's go to Corinthians chapter 7 and look at verses 3 to 5 where there is nothing about procreation there. On Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority. Now sex is written as affection. It's an act of affection. Mm. Okay. That's why, you see, all these concepts come from the West, because West was the Christian part of the civilization, so they will never say, let us have sex. Now, of course, they use vulgar words, and it's very common, and in the Senate hearings and all, mics pick up senators and congressmen using those words, all of them seem to say, that's how the enemy has taken something that was so holy and made it into like, like a beast. But if you know the actual English term, what they say is, let's make love. Because it's a sign of affection. Okay? I don't think anybody goes to a brothel and tells a prophet or prostitute, let us make love. Okay? Let her husband render to his wife the affection due to her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. And verse 5. So do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So suddenly something is brought over there. He says, sex is not simply for procreation. It's much more than that and much bigger than that. In a married couple's life, sex is a very important component of showing affection, intimacy and oneness. It is actually, actually what you call in a in 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 a day like the day let us say you have sex it is the culmination of something that begins like when i counsel couples one of the things i say usually sex happens in the night but making love begins in the morning it's how you communicate with each other 
that is the culmination of the act, but it begins early. And when there is no affection in the morning and through the day, when you have sex at night, you feel used. You feel used. Men complain and women complain. Women complain, I feel used. Because there was no affection there. Though it is legitimate to married people, but there was no affection. Okay? There was no affection. So the Bible is very clear. It uses the term affection. So sex was not for procreation alone. God did not design it that way. So you put these three things together over there. Then comes the question. 21st century people. I already have two children. I don't want to have a third child. What do I do? This is the issue. We have to navigate. The problem is you need... The Catholic Church messed it up. The Catholic Church were the Pharisees of the New Covenant. God will give one law in the Old Covenant. They will make 600 Pharisaical laws out of it. Okay, God didn't say any of these things. Oh, the Catholic Church. And imagine the Catholic Church was making these laws. A priest and nuns were supposed to be celibates. And they're telling married couple what to do and how to do it. Follow the cycle. Don't have sex during other times. If you look at their, if you look at their rules of the church for married couples, how to avoid unwanted pregnancy, it's worse than the Pharisees. Worse than the Pharisees. Okay? That is where all these problems come. But the, now I'm, I'm slow getting into a minefield. Okay? Minefield. The problem is these priests and these nuns or whoever who created all these formulas, they are looking, because they were also celibates, I hope they were celibates, they are looking at sex as only procreation and not as affection. Mm. They are only seeing it as procreation and not as affection. So what are they? They made these rules. So they will say contraceptives are, no, no, no condoms, no contraceptives. The sister who wrote is talking about tying the tubes. One of the painless method. Now I will tell you where this whole confusion comes from. It comes from it's that's why in Genesis chapter chapter thirty seven we are introduced to Joseph. Incredible chapter. All the way to Genesis chapter fifty, you have the history of Joseph. But in between a chapter is given to answer these questions that will come from where wrong theology and right theology comes. In chapter 38, you have an issue of Judah and Tamar and his three sons. Let us go to chapter 38. And we will read from verse 5 onwards. Hmm? Okay, let's go to verse 4, 3, 4. Let us look at the beginning so that we, because this is a very complicated, I don't want to get it wrong. I just want to, don't want to confuse anybody. Okay. Uh, let's go to verse two onwards. Let's go to her husband. Okay, it came to pass at that time, and yeah. Oh, oh, oh! It is a uh, Genesis uh, thirty-nine. Uh, no, no, thirty-eight, pastor. Thirty-eight, pastor. It is thirty-eight. Okay. Judas sword and went into her. Okay. Yeah, come further down. So she conceived and bore him a son, and he called his name Ur. 
I, I probably he knew English before that time. That was his name. He heard that fellow. <laughs> she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again, bore a son, and named his name Shelah. He was at Chesib when she bore him. And Pastor Vijay, one day will probably go into Hebrew and t- tell you all the names, the meanings, and all. Because the Hebrew names, I think these were all visions given to, by God to Moses. Maybe they were not their actual names, but the way God named them. Okay. <laughs> Father must have called him Vijay. God must have called him something else. Okay. It is like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then Judah took a wife for her, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Okay. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord killed him. So he don't even believe it. Killed him. We don't even know what the reason is actually, right, Pastor? Here. I know the reason. I mean, I don't, I'm presuming I know the reason why God killed him. The reason God killed him is because out of Judah, Christ will come. And he doesn't want it to be Ur's son. Oh. Okay. That's why Judah's, it is Judah's sons who are killed. It's not the other sons who are killed. Okay, Joseph's sons or Simeon's sons and Levi's sons are not being killed. Judah's sons are being killed. Because out of Judah will Christ. And he doesn't want that iniquity at all because he is so wicked. That fellow is so wicked. So the scepter is going to come from Judah. This is my assumption. Okay, I'm not putting, there's no need for doctrine here. This is my assumption. He's so wicked, Lord killed him. So Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up her yet. Now this is an old covenant practice of that culture and the law is not given. And the law also continue this practice. Like if the elder son dies and his widow is there, he has no sons, his lions, you know, like Abel's blood is crying out, he has no children. Okay, his lion is cut off, it's never continued. So let your brother not his line be continued. So what you do, second son is asked to marry the widow and the first son is named after the son who died. So first son's spiritual inheritance will be that. And that son will get the father's inheritance too, if I'm right under the law. The second son will be the second son's elder son. That is the way it is. So that the line continues. So that God's principles put over there in the old covenant. Raise up the heir to your brother. He is also a wicked fellow. But he look at him what he does. Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife, he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. You know what he does? I mean, he will, in the act of sex, he will not ejaculate in that wife every time to see that she doesn't bear a child. Therefore, what did God do? The thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Now you take these two verses and you have to read it fully. He did it so that she would not conceive and the child would take the inheritance. So that's why he did it. And God did not like it, he killed it. Out of that they created an entire theology that if you use contraceptives, use contraceptives, God is displeased. Without looking, entire this thing comes from this verse. Theology comes from this verse. You look at what's, you look at the context of what is happening. Now we are talking to adults now, hope no child is, uh, no, the child is, uh, listening to. Now, Married men and married women know there are different ways in which when you get intimate, when you don't want to have a child, depending upon the situation, different ways. You know, sometimes you don't ejaculate inside, sometimes you use condoms, sometimes they use copper tea, sometimes they tie the tubes. 
this is all connected with the fact that we want to be intimate, we want to show affection, but we don't want to have any more children. His reason is different. Yes. Your reason may be different. So you cannot frame a law about it. The only issue is when you move into the next step of after morning pill, two day later pill, after the the sperm and the egg has fused and life has begun. Then it becomes a different story altogether. So that's what I said. It's a minefield. It's a minefield. It's a minefield. So you have to be very careful where you draw the line. So I would always say is that, I would always say this, that, is that use condoms or if you had child, tie the tube. You're not doing it. I personally feel you're not doing anything wrong. Why? Because before a wife usually conceives, they have sex so many times. All that semen is going, all that eggs are also going. In poor case, Abraham's case, it was for half a century. (laughs) So, God did not see it as waste or sin or anything. He didn't see it anything as that. He didn't see it as that way. Any of those things, he didn't see that. So, you don't make. The only issue is here is connected with abortion. Once life has come. That's where you have to be very careful. So, I would always... Tell the sister, if I am, I believe I am right in this, I would tell the sister, you want to tie your tubes? Go ahead. Tie your tubes? Go ahead. Tie your tubes. I have counseled people the other way also around when they have said we have a, we have a child and we want to tie. I said, why don't you wait for a little more? I said, and in cases where I told it worked, where they were told, I said, wait a little more. The reason is both of you, of you are young and you have only two children. No, just wait a little. Don't do it immediately. And they didn't do it. And you know what? One of the child died. Child died. Okay. And they came back and said, thank you. We didn't. So they had a third child. I know it can be untied and all, but I said, wait a little. Just wait a little. Don't. Or the man does vastomy or whatever. They said, no, wait a little. Don't rush. Don't rush. Okay. Don't rush. Wait a little. No, just be very clear because I said we have a God, we have a spirit, and He will tell you if it is. No, sometimes it's it's good to wait. You're too young to go ahead and do it. But on the other hand, if you feel it's fine, I've got two kids, and that's all I want. Go ahead and do it because you have to understand fundamental principles about marriage. First is companionship, second is procreation, and third is intimacy and all these three together has but even if there is no procreation a marriage is still complete still complete Isaac and Sarah probably was one of the happiest families for 25 years 20 years of their marriage and they had no children no children okay they had no children so please don't make it into that in the old covenant was a different story new covenant it's a different thing we find our fulfillment ultimately in Christ. Christ So you can be married, you can be unmarried, you're complete. So Paul will say, I would wish thinking at the last day you didn't get married. But even if you get married, you're not doing anything wrong. 
But the old covenant, it was not like that. If you were remained unmarried, you have to be a Nazarite with a celibate. It was a different, all kind of a, um, not even, the Nazarites got married. You know, it was a different kind of a, Jeremiah is the only fellow, poor fellow was told not to get married. And even Hosea was told to get married. Okay? So it was a different thing. So please get this picture very, very carefully. My only issue with this is this. A married couple who had sex and you believe your wife has conceived, it doesn't matter how many children you have. Go ahead, have the next one too. Don't do anything. Let the child grow. Let the child live. Let it, let it. Don't go and abort the baby. Don't do that. And if you're worried about it, then use contraceptives. Uh, I've looked again in my counseling to couples. This is what I always, I always tell the way it is to the man. <laughs> I'll always tell the man. If you don't want to do these things, I'll always tell them, use condoms. I hope children are not listening. Use condoms. Okay, it's less pleasure for you, but don't let your wife go on pills. Don't do that. It's not good for her body. I am absolutely sure you change your hormone and estrogen, all kind of this thing with medicals and chemicals. It is not good for your body. You take that weight and say, I will have less pleasure, but I will not mess your body up for my sake. If you go through that, I get more pleasure. But if you don't go through that, I get less pleasure. I will take the weight. Don't put her through that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That is safer for her. Better for her, medically speaking. I know. I very strongly believe that is what is better for her. Then, that's a, that's a spiritual side of it. And go that. And don't go like Leah and Rachel and Jacob looking for mandrakes and all those. <laughs> don't do all those kind of Chinese jinxing and all. You don't need any of those things, okay? It just, it's, it just affection ultimately and it is oneness. But like I keep saying, you can be intimate without intimacy, okay? But work on intimacy. Even if there isn't much intimacy, still be intimate so that Satan does not tempt you, the Bible says. Okay? And work on your intimacy. Work on your intimacy. That's my... I think that was a big answer. <laughs> we answered it, Pastor. We'll take one last question. Yeah, we will take one last It's question, question number five. I think it's connected together so that you can just finish it off. The oh, yes. It's just, is it wrong if I live with my boyfriend and still not and, and not have sex? But just live together. No. It's not right. I have a simple question too is why don't you get married? Hmm. Why do you want to live like that? Why do you want to live like that? If you remember the, the words, do not even give the appearance of okay. evil. Yes. Ready, Reckoner? Uh, first, first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21, I think. Is like, okay. uh, not even appearance of 22, something like that. Okay. Chapter 5. First chapter, chapter 5. 5. Okay. 22, yeah. Yeah. 22. Oh. <laughs> okay. 522. Yes, the dear sister who asked, abstain from every form of evil. Let me simply ask this sister. You are a believer, that's why you asked this question. And uh, my question to you is this. How does it help your testimony? How does it help your testimony? Imagine a young believer or somebody who is searching for God comes to your house and you are 
that simple, simple example I'm giving you. Comes to your house and you're telling the person about Jesus Christ and your boyfriend comes out and uh, the girl or the boy says, oh, uncle, how are you? How long have you been married? And you say, no, he's my boyfriend. We are not married. You see, your, your entire testimony, your, your evangelism gone? Mm. Evangelism gone? Then aren't you telling the child too that it is okay to live with, if you have a boyfriend, it is okay to live with boyfriend? No? And the Bible talks about avoiding temptation. <laughs> Why do you want to put yourself in that? Right? It's absolute, it's a no-no. It's simply a no-no. It is not. No, it is. It is, you do not live with your boyfriend. You do not live with your boyfriend. And it doesn't matter. Even if you're 80 and there's no sex involved, just get married. Nobody's stopping you. Nobody's stopping you. Any pastor will be happy to marry an 80 and a 79 or 82, 80 year old couple and say, just for companionship, we want the legitimacy of living under the same roof. You'll have to have heard stories mm. about people who lived. Let me tell you, the first set of people who got saved through our messages in the 19, in the 2008 and all, 8, 9, they were Grandparents, parents, and with grandchildren. They had around 12 or 13 grandchildren. And the grandparents were never married. And they got saved after reading Sin, Iniquity, and the Transgression. And once they got saved, they repented. They straight away went to the church, to the pastor, and they got married. All of them actually. All, All of them. them. None of them were married in that entire life. Nobody were married. Hmm. Once they understood the reality of marriage and how important it is, God, because it is the entire symbol of Christ's relationship with church. Think about it. You take the question and put it across into eternity. I will not be married to Jesus. Can I just be my boyfriend? When you understand what marriage means, you will understand the nature of your question. I don't want to be married to Jesus. Can he just be my boyfriend? Can I just stay with him as a boyfriend? Jesus says, I am nobody's boyfriend. I have a bride who is prepared. I am coming back for my bride. You know, And your boyfriend may be the best guy in the world. Just get married. Just get married. Why do you want to stay under one roof and not be married? I don't know what the reason is. Well, the reason is, but whatever it is, my answer to you is, no, you cannot. It's not. It's a no-no. In the kingdom of God, it is a no-no. I think we should. If the question is not about whether you are having sex or not. The question is, everybody will assume you are having. And you cannot... Telling everybody, hi, we live together, we are not having sex. You can't do that. Mm. Nobody's going to believe you. Your testimony is gone. And for another generation, you become a stumbling block. You become a stumbling block. Because by your very lifestyle, you are sanctioning something which God does not accept. God does not accept. You know, please understand these concepts. First thing, in heaven, God will only have children. He won't have grandchildren, nephews and nieces. No. God will have only children. Okay? Meaning, everybody has to be born again. Just because I'm a pastor, my children don't get automatic entry. They have to personally be born again. Because God will only have children. Second thing, remember for the wedding feast, there was one guy who did not have the wedding dress. And he was kicked out. Kicked out. Kicked out. These are fundamental things which you need to understand. The life you are living out here has eternal implications. Yes. It 
eternal implications. And those eternal truths will never change. Will never change. Will never change. Those things don't change. So we have to get those things, pictures. But thank you for the, we didn't answer. We had so many questions. But thank you for the few questions. Because I thought, like, the questions was interesting. Because these are areas in our Q&A we have never dwelled into, but many people may have those questions, especially people who come from a Catholic background have that question about sex and contraception is a big thing. It's because they don't look into the word and what the word says and understand the fundamental principles and then about marriage. Yes, Pastor Vijay, we shall close and then um, correction, this is uh, ginger tea, please. Okay, this is ginger tea. Nothing dangerous. Because we don't even want to give the appearance of evil. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. We thank you for tonight. Thank you for all the questions. All the dear ones, O oh Lord, who asked the questions. Let nobody be confused. Let nobody feel condemned. They can just come back to their father and say, Lord, I heard today and I want to obey you, Lord. I want to obey you, Lord. I just want to obey you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, even when they pray, they will clearly hear the Holy Spirit tell them what you heard today is the truth. Amen. Yes. And you can go ahead without condemnation. Speak to them, Lord. Let them have those two witnesses, Lord. A witness on earth and a witness from heaven in their hearts. Because God is a God who speaks. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Commit the rest of the night into thy hands here. And we plead the blood of Jesus over all your people, U.S. side, days on. Australia is already late night, here night, but tomorrow Sunday morning, Lord, help us to be in your presence. Help us, Lord, to hear you speak to us once again, Lord, preparing us for these last days, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.